0: On today's episode of Higher Learning, we're joined by Fort Lauderdale Broward County legend, Keith Costello. Keith Costello is the CEO at Locality Bank. We talk about everything from his aspiring restauranteur career early on, to banking and how he hires the best people, to how his incredible accomplishments in the CrossFit space. Keith is such a personal and amazing visionary leader. I know you're gonna love this episode. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Today, we do have a very special guest. It's Keith Costello. He's the CEO of Locality Bank. Keith, how you doing today?
1: Doing great, Oz. Thanks for having me.
0: Keith, uh, I got to say, this is a long time coming. I've known you for at least half a decade at this point. Um, <laughs> I always call you the man of Fort Lauderdale. Everybody everybody knows Keith. So grateful you came on. Uh, so appreciative. Let me ask you real quickly to start. How long have you been in South Florida? Are you a, a local from the beginning or?
1: since uh i moved here in 1985
0: okay so so it's changed a little bit in that time
1: yeah a, right? a little yeah a few more people right. here a few more, <laughs> a few more buildings, buildings.
0: <laughs> yeah things like that. love it man so i want to talk about this because i find you to be one of the more interesting people i know because you literally found and run a bank right and and for me it's just super interesting to even how you get into that space so I want to talk about locality first because I, I this is a relatively new sure. venture. I knew you when you were working at the previous bank. I'm interested for your vision for locality and how you feel like it differentiates from other choices out there.
1: So, I think that's in the story that I tell about the bank. You know, so so I would actually sure. started a bank in in 2009. It's the first bank I started in Fort Lauderdale. And, um, yeah. you know, that was obviously a really traumatic time as well. This bank, then I became the CEO of a bank called First Green in between those since we sold Locale, since we sold Brouwer Bank of Commerce. And then, you know, so I had to non compete in 2020 and think back to that time, right? COVID, PPP, okay. people are under the impression they're going to lose their businesses. Or, you know, if you're working in a company, you're afraid you're going to lose your job everybody's, it's really panic mode. And so if you're a business owner, you're trying to get hold of your bank, trying to get some of this PPP money, which if you're the CEO of AutoNation or City Furniture, that phone is being picked up and they're saying, yes, sir, how much? What do you want, 10 or 50 million? But if you're like mom and pop or not even mom and pop, let's just say you're running like a local law firm that's doing 20 to 50 million in revenue, you're having a hard time getting a hold of somebody and I'm getting phone calls while I'm on my not compete from all these people that I know and that I've had as customers in Fort Lauderdale. I'm sitting out in my backyard and my phone's blowing up and they're like, Hey, we can't get anybody at our bank to, you know, call us. And I, so I kind of went on with my network. I know a lot of bankers and I'm trying to help these people out, but I'm also saying to myself, what's going on? You know, why is this occurring? And so pause for a minute and just kind of took a look at the landscape of Broward County. Traditionally, community banks have financed local companies. It wasn't the big banks. The big banks were more the banks that took care of the larger companies. So I looked at how many community banks there were five years ago in Broward County, 2015. At that time, there were 11 community banks headquartered in Broward County. I looked at 2020, there were only three, That were still Mm -hmm. in Broward County, Um, and I then I looked at how much in banking assets are still in Broward County at that time in 2015. There were 11 billion dollars. It was like over about 15 percent of the deposits were held by local banks in our county. By 2020, there was only it decreased by 94 percent. There was only 600 million, like a hardly even registered the amount of assets that were in local banks. So what happened, those banks sold. They were acquired consolidation, which is great. I mean, that's capitalism, right? People start a business, they sell it, but it was hurting. What we saw is when there was stress in the economy, because you really don't know if you have a bank relationship until you really need it. Like you think you have a bank relationship, but if everything's going good, you don't need to pick up the phone and call anybody. Everything's going fine. But all of a sudden, something like PPP happens or 2009 happens, and then you realize you need to be able to speak to somebody. You need somebody that's going to pick up the phone and help you. So that's why we went back and we regrouped and we got a bunch of people together. I went to the Broward Workshop, which is, you should be in that, actually. You should be in the, I'm going to keep recruit it. you for that. It okay. is the highest level organization of business CEOs and owners in Broward County and everybody's engaged in trying to help the community so you know I went to this group because I had been a member at the other banks when I was there and I went back and I said listen I think we need another bank here's the here's the data that I've uncovered let me share it with you this is why people are not able to get funding and many of you are in this room and they're like yeah we, we we agree. We need to, we need another bank in Broward County. And then I said, okay, I need you guys to fund it. Will everybody help and write checks? And so we ended up raising almost 40 million, just a little under $40 million, all from local business people, not from funds or, you know, private equity or family offices. These are people that own businesses in Broward County that said, you know, we need a bank. So that was how we got started. And, and our mission is to empower local companies to maximize their potential. And we, that's why we get up every day. That's what everybody at our bank is focused on doing every day is helping local businesses. So that's, that's our story.
0: I love it. You are an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. You're so dedicated to your vision and you can just feel your passion. I love it. I, I want to ask you, because I, I don't know that I fully realized that your two banks started in 2009 and 2020. Which, by all accounts, are two of the the most like you know crazy years to be running a business, to be in business, to do any of these different types of things. Um, do you think that that's a product of you know when there's chaos like that, there's an opportunity? Was it coincidence? Was it just like fortuitous? Like how how do you prescribe that timing into those kind of being the times where you kind of your banking career took off?
1: So again, I think it goes back to when you have disruption like that in the market, which we had in both of those circumstances. You had you had people who, you know, if everything, again, not to be repetitive, but if everything's going fine, nobody wants to switch their bank. Nobody's looking to move to another bank or, but you know, when you realize that you are in trouble and you need help, it's, um, it's a natural, right? So I didn't anticipate 2009, I, I felt like there was going to be a recession in 2007. And that's when we started to, you know, put that bank together. Uh, I had no idea it was going to be as bad as it was. And I certainly didn't realize COVID was going to hit, but when they, you know, so the first time I think it was kind of, we didn't realize how bad things were going to be in 2009. Um, In 2020, it was more a fact of, Hey, here's what's happened. Let's look at why it happened and try to solve the problem for, you know, local businesses.
0: Yeah, I love that. So let, let's go a little bit earlier in the journey because I'm, you know, I don't meet a ton of people that find and run banks, right? It's just, it's just not something that is just, you know, you meet at a local cocktail hour very much. So I'm just interested, how do you get to that point? Like, did it start like when you were a young boy playing Monopoly and you're always like, I'll be the bank, I got it handled
1: <laughs> or, you know,
0: Proclivity for finance. Like, how did you end up on this path? I'd like to know a little bit about your earlier journey that ultimately oh led to where you gosh. are. Gosh,
1: you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I do a podcast with entrepreneurs and you're coming on my podcast, by the way, soon. But, you know, that's a question I always ask everybody because I'm curious how they got, you know, with me, it was like, no, you know, I never, that was not something I aspired to, you know, I wanted to be in the restaurant business believe it or not really? and I wanted to own my own restaurant and that was my kind of my dream and it was one that I you know never realized probably thank god because I probably would be you know one more guy who tried to start a restaurant yep. uh, but you know I ended up in banking really I, I ended up I went in the army because uh, I needed money to go to college so I actually got an ROTC scholarship went to University of Tampa. I grew up in New York, by the way, upstate New York, Albany, we very cold. I always wanted to go to Florida. I didn't care which school I went to. So when I got that ROTC scholarship, I applied to every school in Florida that had ROTC, University of Tampa accepted me. So I went there, Did you know? graduated in 1980. I went in the army for five years, came right back to Fort Lauderdale. And so never anticipated. So I, I really... My idea was I'm going to be in the restaurant business when I got out of the army. And because of a few things, which I won't go into all of them, I realized that was not for me and ended up working for a bank called um, NCMB, which today is Bank of America. But that NCMB was the predecessor bank of, of Bank of America. And I went to work for them in 1990 in Fort Lauderdale. And that was how I got started in banking. I worked for banks up until I was 50 years old. So I was a late entrepreneur and I didn't start, you know, at 25 or 30 years old. I had been in banking for a long time. And in in 2009, it was when really the first time that I took that entrepreneurial dive. I've always been a frustrated, even though I was working in a and banks and I was making a good living. I always felt the need to express that entrepreneurial desire and one to and I don't wanna jump ahead, but one of the questions you asked is what would you tell, you know, your 25 year old self today, sure. take that risk early, don't wait, you know, 25 more years. If you have it, not everybody has that entrepreneurial spark and that's fine. A lot of people are very successful, you know, working for a company and that's great but if you have if you feel you have that entrepreneurial drive that you want to release better to do it young when you have nothing to lose i did it at 50 when i had everything to lose and almost lost it doing that bank in 2009 cuz we came very close to not ever opening that bank so
0: i love that yeah. i think like one of the things that i recommend to people who are early in their career especially when you're just getting on your feet is like when you get later in life All of a sudden, you have to be doing things for a family, a child, like you have different responsibilities. And now your ability to take risk and and stomach risk is a lot less than than it is early on in your career. And so when I'm giving advice to people early on, it's don't worry about chasing the biggest salary right off the bat. Don't worry about chasing the biggest title right off the bat, because it is not where you start. Absolutely chase opportunity, chase learning, chase people that are going to make you better. If you do that early in your career, right? Maybe you're eating top ramen through your mid-20s, but by the time you get to your 30s and 40s, if you've done it right, you know, it's going to be more filet mignon because you're learning and you're, you're taking those opportunities. So I always find that like kids were coming out of school and they're like, I got to make sure I get the, the right salary and all that. And I'm not, I, not far be it for me to tell anybody that that's not important. But I just think that the main thing that I always focused on is what am I going to get out of this outside of status and financial opportunity early in my career? And it worked out pretty well for me. So I think that is great, great advice. The other thing I'll add to this is that you know, many don't know this about me. I actually had a burgeoning career in the banking industry. Um, oh, wow. I worked at Wells Fargo um, at the University of Arizona. I worked across the street from the university. Um, I was the number one sales guy in Arizona. I'll multiple that. in a row. Um, here's why. <laughs> and I tell people this all the time. Um it's right when they had come out. This is back in like two thousand one, I want to say. They had you weren't making check- up
1: you weren't making up accounts and stuff like those. Other oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay. You got
0: to be ethical on sales. Your name is everything. <laughs> um, the free checking accounts had just come out, and overdraft protection had just come out. And the reason I would tell people, like, well, like, how are you like selling it like this? Is because like I'm not selling anything. Like you're telling me you want to, you know, you want to have a minimum amount in your checking account, or you're gonna get a charge. Like that doesn't make any sense. Or you're telling me like you're coming here with your thirty dollars overdraft fees. I can get you into something that's gonna save you all this money. And, you know, I'd have all these college students coming across the way. I'm gonna be honest, I had, you know, some sorority girls coming across, and I was like, you know, (laughs) let me get rid of some of these fees for you. You just gotta sign up for overdraft protection. But the reality situation is, I believed in what it was. I didn't feel like I was giving something to somebody that they didn't need. If anything, I was like, I can't believe you wouldn't sign up for this. Let me help you. I can help fill out the information for you. This is gonna really help you. And people felt that. And that's informed a lot of who I am today. Like, if I don't buy into what, if I didn't believe, in MSH's services, if I didn't believe in what our software did, I'd be a terrible, terrible at selling it. I can't do that. But if I believe at my core, people, I think, can feel that authenticity. So anyway, a little bit of an aside. But that was my banking career. Fortunately, it only lasted two years. I went in a different direction. Otherwise, we know we might be competitors right now.
1: You might um, be running Wells Fargo today if you oh, out. Man.
0: No thanks. I'm good. Um, <laughs> so we've talked about one of the things I, uh, you and I, really kind of hit it off on is that. CEOs, right, um, or just people who are executives in their career, you know, I follow sports really closely. Um, and so you talk. they talk a lot about, you know, physical well-being, like LeBron James famously spends a million dollars on his body a year. And then more recently, we're seeing the focus on mental health and sports psychology and that aspect of it with these high-performance athletes, right? But when you're an executive, right, um, you are maybe not doing the same level of physical exertion, maybe not at least in your job, but the mental reps, the stress, the stress, the long hours, the jumping from meeting to meeting, the high intensity—it um, demands some level of taking care of yourself. So this is a trend that I think you and I have seen and observed over the last five to ten years really take off. I'm interested on in how you've adapted that to your life and maybe why it's why you think it's important.
1: Yeah, so I I think you know that I, you know I'm a big CrossFit uh, advocate and yep. it has been something that you know, I just. I mean, that's how I start my day. I was going to the 6 a.m. class. Now I've shifted to the 5 a.m. class. And I'm just like, I, I'm i really a morning person. I know people are different. Like some people are, like to work at two or three in the morning and others like to get up at three in the morning. And for me, like that morning, just being, it's so quiet, peaceful. It's such a good time to start the day. And then just to go into the gym and uh, go through this CrossFit ritual where, you know, I ha- I have to say I'm the second oldest guy there. I used to be the oldest guy. And then this guy who's 73 has the same birthday as me, comes in and like ruins it for me. And the guy's in an amazing shape. He's inspirational actually. So, uh, but but I love competing, right? I love the, and it drives me, even though like the guys in there are like your age that I'm, and some of, and women too, like there are women in there that can literally could kick both of our butts and, you know, weightlifting and training, maybe not yours, but definitely mine. <laughs> no, they definitely, I know that. <laughs> but it's so, but I mean, I think that's the beauty of CrossFit is that, you know, no matter what level you're at, you push yourself to that different level because of the fact that it's a group there and there's a clock going and you look around and you're like, well, maybe I can beat that guy or maybe I can beat that girl. And they're doing the same thing. And everybody just, Go, it pushes you to that extra level of achievement. That's what I love
0: about it. I want to get to the core of this. There's a couple of different yeah. things here that I find fascinating. So CrossFit is different. It's there's a little bit more of a collective vibe to it. You all are typically doing some of the same exercise over a timed amount. I know it can be different, you know, place to place, but from my experience and when I was doing it, that's what it was like. I want to get to the root of it. So the competition, it sounds like really drives you with it. But I'll tell you me and, and what I what I do in my workout routine. For me, Like, you know, there's two places where like, I'm a pretty friendly guy, but there's two places where it's like, you're not going to get my best self because I'm kind of like focused on my thing. And that's if I'm playing basketball or I'm feeling hyper competitive, right. Or when I'm at the gym, because when I'm at the gym, like I got my whole armor on, I got my headphones (laughs) locked in. I'm listening to my hard rock music. It's me versus the metal. And it's a very, I got to be honest, it's kind of meditative for me. Like I almost like, I've had people say, Hey, can I come lift with you and stuff like that. I'm like, This is kind of my thing. Like, I want to do this for an hour. I want to go on the sauna. I want to be done. The CrossFit's very different. It's much more collective. It's much more pushing each other. So I want to get to the root of that. The competition is important to you, but like, what is it about the group dynamic that really does it for you? Do you find that you're motivated and pushed like that? Would it be the same if you were doing it on your own, or how do you kind of deal with that dynamic?
1: It is definitely better. Like, I've done the, the on my own thing too, and I've, I've did that for many years. Um, this is, it's almost like I would liken it to going through uh, like something very difficult, whether it's at work, personally, with a group, right? I really challenge, like almost like combat, uh, because it's such a challenging thing that you're going through with a group of people. And so it's competitive, but it's also like, hey, we all did this. It was freaking hard. Like we pushed ourselves as hard as we could for, you know, it might only be 15 or 20 minutes, but at the end of that thing, it's so cool. Like you, people hang out and they just kind of sit there and there's a bonding that occurs from going through a really tough thing together and surviving. <laughs> I, dig that. I really dig that.
0: I think if I'm kind of psychoanalyzing myself a little bit, <laughs> I got this company, we got like 200 plus people, got a lot of people in the office. I'm talking to people all day. Then I go home. And I got four little ones hanging on my arms, doing things. I got my wife, I got a group of friends. And so I, I think the the times that I can find a little bit of solitude and solace, whether it be on my drive into the office, maybe sometimes with that workout, those really, really stand out to me. But I want to say something, because I heard a quote yesterday. Uh, Dan Quinn was hired by the Redskins, and he did his press conference. And he said, I like doing hard shit with smart and talented people that I like. Like, that's what gets me off. And I thought about that. And I'm like, oh, God, I love that. Like, I want to, yeah. like... I don't mind doing the hard, most difficult things if I'm doing it in a tribe. If I'm doing it with people that like I want to fight through, and like that sounds a lot like what you just said about CrossFit. And I really, I love that mentality when it comes to work and pushing myself. Maybe I got to try CrossFit. Maybe I'm missing out on something there. Yeah,
1: I need to. You need to come over to FLL. Yeah, sounds like a bunch of
0: women and you and seventy year olds are gonna kick my butt because I'm in nowhere near the shape. <laughs> of death. Maybe I got to humble myself a little bit. <laughs> All right, so listen, the podcast, we like to talk about hiring here. You know, I've told you this before, yeah. I'm obsessed with talent. I always want to find out the people who are the best at bringing on great talent in the organization. I've met some of the people that have worked for you. They've been hyper talented people. So I want to dig in a little bit here and learn a little bit about how you approach bringing people into your network, your orbit, your companies, okay? So let's start here. Can you tell me if you have a core hiring philosophy for bringing people into your organization?
1: So, so yes. And it's really about making people understand that. So I tell a story like to even the people that are here now with us at locality. And it's kind of like, you know, so Chase has 300,000 employees, right? They're hiring right now. We have a little more than 30, we have 30 something. So I say, well, to somebody who, who might be interested, you know, they're trying they were interested in banking or they're looking for a job. So do you want to be part of a, an army? You want to be one of 300,000 or do you want to be employee number 33 of an elite seal team? Or do you want to be in the, you know, the big army with everybody else where you don't really have an impact with our group? It's like, you know, people can have a, an incredible impact if you're one of those early employees in a startup. And I think it's really about making that, making them feel that, wow, you know, I can really make a difference here, like, or I could go work at this big bank and have safety, security, greater, better benefits, probably better pay, uh, or I can do this. And I got to tell you, like, I know you're asking me about books. So this is the book. I don't know if it's coming. Yeah. I can endurance. see it. Endurance, yeah. It's buy. kind of on blur. So endurance is by Alfred, um, Lansing mm-hmm. and it's the story of Shackleton who sails, uh, down right. to Antarctica. Uh, Antarctica. Wants to cross. like somebody had already the been posted. there, but he, yeah. Yeah. I love this story. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So he wants to cross Antarctica and he's got to like recruit, obviously you got to recruit people, right? To, and so the people that he recruited was like, you know, sign up for low wages, you know, <laughs> hardship, but adventure, right? And he had likely, people yeah. just lined, likely, right. You're probably going to die, but do you want to do this? And, and people lined up to to join this guy. He had no problem like recruiting some great people to go on this journey with him. So I think, you know, that's kind of the message. And, and when we talk to people too, we tell them, you know, listen, this isn't for everybody. And, and, you know, you've started a business, right. And you've built your business up in the beginning. It's like, it's hard. It's never easy, right? It's still not easy for you. You're just at a different level, but when you're starting, I mean, it's really hard and you got to have people who are like warriors. No, there's no returns
0: either. That's the worst part. Like at least when you get to a certain level, it's like, okay. I got, I got like, I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking care of my family. I've got, you know, a mission. We've got a vision. We've got all these things. But when you first get started, right, at the most like form- formative time, there's like no payoff either. Like at the end of the day, there's no hope for the future potentially. You're not getting paid <laughs> anything. You're, you have to bang on like 10 doors to get one person to even give you a cross eye. Like it's almost like going to the gym religiously. Week after week, month after month, and seeing absolutely no return, which can be super demotivating and not for everybody. So I didn't mean to interject, but
1: yeah, now I get some PTSD, right? And that's and that's what it's like. And so you don't want somebody to come in who's going. You know, you can't have somebody come in who's who's going to be in that environment that can't take a no, that can't take rejection, that can't take. You know, it's not tough enough to go through that. So we really talk to people. We say, you know, are you sure this is for you? You know, are you sure you're not better off at Bank of America where, you know, this, that, and the other thing? The other thing, like with the startup bank, we can't pay bonuses. We have to bring people in very rarely, and I would say probably never have we paid somebody more money than they're making at their current job. We have to sell them on the dream, the vision, being part of something special. So, my my two co-founders. So, you know, like I'm, I'm going to be 67 in next week. So my two co-founders are in the forties. So one of them worked with me before Drew Sato. He worked with me at First Green when I was CEO of First Green. And Drew is a Fort Lauderdale guy and knows a ton of people here. But one thing that Drew and I realized when we're starting Locality, he's a co-founder, is that The key person we needed, if we are going to build a technology modern bank, which is what we didn't want to build a community bank like we did in 2009 and old school, we want to build a digital first community bank that was a community bank of the future and would do well in the future. And we knew we needed a technology guy, so not an IT person. So how do we get, you know, we didn't ever have anybody like that at these other banks that we ran So I started going on LinkedIn. This is when I had my non-compete. So I had two years of time to use. And so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm just having all these conversations with kind of all these technology people and fintech and people working at banks. And, you know, half of them probably, you know, never responded. Every so often I'd get somebody who was interested and I'd start conversations with these people. And so Corey LeBlanc, who was a chief technology officer at a bank called Origin Bank in uh, New Orleans and Louisiana, um, you know, starts engaging in conversation with me. And then I start like looking at this guy and he's speaking at conferences at American Banker and he's, you know, pretty well known in this space. And I'm thinking, is this guy actually like, is he considering possibly jumping into this thing with me? And I'm like, no, you know, he couldn't be just off a LinkedIn conversation. <laughs> sure enough, you know, he ended up jumping in with Drew and I bought into the, to the dream that we had. And, you know, now he lives in Fort Lauderdale. And this is not, it's a guy who is making great money, working at a pub- publicly traded company, jumps into the startup because he wanted to do something, build something significant. And he never had that opportunity at that big bank to have a blank slate to do the kind of technology uh, innovation really that he wanted to do. So that was probably the best hiring success story that I've had. And so he's a co-founder as well. So these guys are my co-founders. They, um, and both of them, as I said, drew, I had worked with before, but Corey was like, I just have such admiration for this guy for the courage that he had to jump into this thing. He was like one of those guys that jumped on that boat to to the South pole.
0: Yeah. I love that. Um, It makes me think of a couple of different things. Really early on in my career, my corporate career, I got a lot of great lessons, but one of them was, you know, find out what the people around you and the people above you are motivated by, and then speak to your audience in their language, right? And so I found out pretty early on, some people are motivated by money, some are status, some people want to look good, some people are fear of getting admonished, like there's a bunch of different motivations out there. And if I'm being really honest, a lot of that algorithm of hiring fit that we work on with our software Behavior is important. Capability is important. But man, situation and motivation are such an underlying aspect of whether somebody is the right fit or not. To your point about, you know, uh, Corey, you know, Corey could have been like ticked off every box, right? But if he wasn't willing to move from New Orleans or this wasn't the right time or his wife or family wasn't against it, then it might not have ever worked out. And that's something that I don't think we take into enough context when it comes to finding that great fit for us. But anyway, coming back to the motivation aspect... If you understand what that is, right, then you can find the right people. And you want people, obviously, that are builders, right, versus a maintainer. You want somebody who's motivated by impact, right, not by status or things like that. And so if you can identify that in your hiring process, you have such a better chance of success. I'm going to take a little bit of an aside from the hiring and ask you a question because I've, I've been curious about it. been thinking about it. So Locality Bank is obviously focused on working on local businesses. But you've talked about the bigger vision, bigger purpose, being employee number 33 as it grows, I don't know if you can share this, but would the vision be to have a locality bank in a bunch of different communities and locality? Or would it be to expand the vision here in Broward County, maybe to West Palm Beach, Miami Dade? Like, how, how do you see that growth pattern looking? Am I allowed to ask that? Is that okay?
1: Absolutely. And and that's a great question. And, yeah, the first part was exactly right. So the reason it's locality is <laughs> not only did that problem occur here in Broward County, but it occurred across the United States and the banks that were the heroes of PPP were the community banks, but it was also the fintechs. So the firms that had technology and the community banks had to work day and night to get money out, the fintechs were doing it with technology like that. So that was that's the idea. Take that technology, merge it with the relationship orientation of community bank, and then locality. Yeah, so take that local bank and bring it to other places that need local banks. Like, you know, even in the state of Florida, like take a city like Jacksonville. I was just on the phone with like, cause I'm involved with the Florida bankers association. We were just on the phone talking about different markets. There's, there's hardly any community banks in Jacksonville, Florida, which is a, you know, that's a big city and, and a very uh, you know, doing very well economically Um, you know, and there's other like, just take, Across the demographic of the United States, there's a lot of communities like that where you have a lack of local banking. So yeah, we'd love to take it and grow it.
0: Okay. Listen, when I get curious, I just got to ask, even though it's a little bit out of sequence. So I apologize about that. And I'm going to bring you back into the hiring zone.
1: Take it wherever you want. Memorable
0: (laughs) interview. We're going to start talking about Space Quest after this. Give me 10 minutes. Okay. Um, Just kidding. Uh, (laughs) In terms of memorable interviews that you've had, Either you've been interviewing somebody or maybe you were interviewing. Any come to mind when I ask you about that?
1: Yes. And and so two, so first, and they're really similar. So I'm going to talk about one, I was being interviewed and the other, we were recruiting and interviewing somebody to join our team. And, you know, I would say both of them involved uh, a dinner and sitting down. The first one was was uh, a bank that, it's actually the last job that I was hired for. It was always like 2007 before I started, you know, doing my own banks. And I remember it because it was uh, just a really, uh, I felt very, uh, I felt a bond with this person. And I was created over this dinner environment. And I felt so comfortable that you know and it was just an easy conversation and it was a very it was a member i still remember it to this day what a nice dinner and what a nice person that i still keep in touch with you know this banker who uh who hired me back in 2006 7 whenever it was and then when i was involved in recruiting someone for a really key position who was you know looking at a lot of different options and this is a person that was—it's really again like a Corey, really respected in the in the industry, and uh, a person in the SBA area, small business lending, so small business loans. Um, and so we did the same thing. Only this time, we had our our team, we had our spouses, we had this person bring her husband. It was a woman, and we had a nice dinner. At Eddie V's in that private room, and it was the same. The chemistry was just really so good, and I think, and so now this person ended up joining us. uh, Just a phenomenal, one of the best uh, people that I can say. You know, Corey and 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 this person, Anna, two of the best recruits that we've had. Uh, And and I think one thing I can say that really attracted her about our organization. Was the culture. So the whole, when she understood our culture and, you know, our our mission to empower local companies to maximize their potential, our core values, of trust, innovation, accountability, and we talked to her about those things. And now I have her talk about them. Because she embraced that so much. Yeah. And I've had her talk even in our team meetings. I said, you know, you're so excited about our culture. You know, she would talk about it with people that she was recruiting then. As she's recruited people from the same bank where she that she came from. And she would mm-hmm. use that same message so well that I was like, wow, you should talk about this with our entire team. Because you've really embraced it.
0: Yeah, I, I gotta tell you what. So I love the dinner, lunch interview setting for a lot of reasons. A lot of people give the cliche, I want to see how they treat the waiter. It's like, listen, man, if you can't <laughs> be an asshole for an hour, then like you're, you're wiped out. <laughs> I don't think that's a great indicator. I think everybody can kind of put on a show if they need to for an interview. But what I love about the like dinner situation, particularly if you bring a spouse, is that you're getting into a less stuffed up environment, right? You can get to know the person, I think, at a more deeper, more personal level there is some complexity to it too, right? Like, how do I like make sure I'm eating the right meal? How do I make sure I'm talking in between bites? How do I handle things with the server? How do I handle the alcohol distribution if I'm drinking or not? Um, like, I think these are things that are like, if you're bringing in an executive, you're bringing in somebody who an important role in your company, these are the type of things that I think, n- number one, you can get some good analysis that you might not otherwise have. But I think even more important, I think you build a deeper bond and you learn more about the whole person, particularly with regards to the spouse. Um, I, I try to do that as much as I can. I find that, um, I'm pretty, I'm authentic. I try to be myself on video phone, whatever it is in person, but you get me in a dinner setting and it really becomes more about the whole person on both sides. So I really think that's a smart thing on your part. It does not surprise me. that two of your most memorable interviews came in those settings. I will say one funny story. I, we, we do this sometimes at MSH, um, we're hiring people, especially that are directly reporting to me. My CFO took this to another level. I don't know if I'd recommend this. He did a interview, a lunch interview with one other of our team members. We were hiring for multiple sales positions. So he invited the senior salesperson and the junior salesperson to the same lunch. And they went and they had a lunch and, and we end up hiring one person and not the other. And I don't know how that works. Sometimes I feel like they can be talking over each other and, and, and that might not be the great <laughs> thing. So that was one where I wouldn't recommend necessarily the lunch or dinner setting. But I found that was funny and it uh, ended up being a good hire. So. Uh, I guess all is well that ends well. What about questions? Do you have like a favorite question that you love to ask that really kind of dives deep into the person that you're interviewing?
1: So I I have to say I don't. And I've I've also found for me one of the things, I guess that I've learned myself and I've read like all these interview questions, which I'm sure you have. You know, there's a bunch of them out there. Um, I think anybody my my sense is anybody can interview well if they really want to uh, what they, what you can't tell, like you could have somebody, you have perfect interview and everybody loves the, the interview went great and they're a great interviewer, uh, but they suck as an employee. Right. So that's the biggest fear that we all have. You know, so I try when I hire somebody, I try to do my best to, The ideal situation obviously is when you have somebody at your organization who's worked with that person before, right? That's a no brainer. And that's where we've gotten our best people because nobody brings somebody that's not good into their own house. So that's our number one. And then if I don't have that, which that as you, as you scale, obviously you'll lose that capability. So what we've done is we always try to find somebody that has worked with that person before. And a lot of times you obviously you can't go to the place they're working now, but I try to find somebody who has worked with them that I can talk to. And a lot of times I'll ask in an interview, tell me, you know, I know you can't have, I can't call your boss that you're working for now, but when you worked at XYZ company, who'd you report to there? And can I call them and can I ask them about you? Will they give me a good reference? And what does that do? That allows you to find out because, you know, I know a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, our policy is we're not going to talk about anybody. But Oz, if you work for me, I don't care what company it was and you did a great job. And so you you asked me to talk to somebody, I'm not going to care what the company policy is. I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. So if somebody can't do that, if they say, well, you know, they're not going to talk to you, that's an indicator. That's a red flag to me. Sure. Maybe they aren't as great as they say they were. Well, let's invite um, people here now.
0: That's like, that can be a sensitive thing. So how do you, let's say that you they gave you the go-ahead or they didn't give you the go-ahead. You're going to reach out to this person. What's the message? How do you approach them? What do you say? Just, just very candidly, I'm interviewing this person. You work with them. Tell me about it. Or how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, exactly. Ex- exactly that. You know, so I will, first of all, you know, I'll get the person's permission and I'll say, I want you to call that person and, and ask them to take my call. I want you to set that up. So that is an indication to me of what kind of relationship they have with somebody that they used to report to. Now, um, you know, most, and, and I've done this successfully in a number of cases where people have done that. And so, yes, I make that call and I say, or other people in our organization, we kind of, that's one of our criteria now to hire somebody. We want that to occur because if that doesn't occur and we can't get a good reference on somebody from somebody that they reported to in the past, it's a, as I said, it's a red flag, but it's basically, yeah. Tell me about that person. What was it like to work for them? Would you, you know, would you recommend them? If I can't get that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause and uh, probably not hire that person.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit of a variation on the standard. Give me some references I can call. Cause that's more set up. You're more kind of asking them in the moment. I want to call your direct manager at this company. You know. Any issue with that? And then you can kind of see how they deal with it on the fly, right? I suppose there could be scenarios where, you know, they didn't get along with their manager and it wasn't on them. But also, yeah. I think it's a pretty good indicator. what manager can I talk to? Because if I can't talk <laughs> yeah. to your career, then that's a problem. I like that. Yeah. I think that's really smart. Um, Shackelford, I think, did a great job of what I would consider a realistic job preview. That's really important because as much as it's about you bringing in the right person in your organization, these people are committing their lives to your your company, your bank. Your, they're working for you, right? And so that's a big deal, right, at the individual level. I'm wondering, how do you create a realistic idea of what it's like to work at locality? Do you do anything outside of telling them or you just emphasize certain things? Or how do you kind of give them an understanding of what they'd be walking into if they took a role
1: with you? Yeah, we do almost tr- try to discourage them to some extent. Mm-hmm. We really we really say, are you sure, you know, are you sure this is for you? Because it's really hard, you know, make sure this is something that you, uh, you know, you want to undertake because, you know, working in a startup, as I was talking about before, it is like going, it is like an adventure, right? You're going to have days that are great, but you're going to have days that are really rough. And, you know, we don't have all of the things that all the safety security and everything else that you have at a big organization, we don't have the great benefits. We can't pay bonuses. We can't do this. We can't, you know, your pay is not going to be as good as you, if you went somewhere else. But what do we have? We have stock options. And that if somebody bites on that, then you know, that's a builder, right? Mm-hmm. If they're willing to take less pay now for that, you know, you've heard about that study they did with little kids, like delayed gratification. Can you, it yeah, you know, I with the, with my
0: kids i yeah. would say one cookie <laughs> now or two cookies in
1: 5 minutes. Right. <laughs> like, so if you can delay gratification and they do that test with the little kids you know that's an indication that you're going to be very successful later in life because that's the key to success being able to be disciplined now make less for a future reward and so that those are the, that's one of the key selling points that we have is yeah we're going to create a lot of multimillionaires with this company but you've you know you're maybe not going to make as much money as you would make at Bank of America at day one, and you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna really have to sacrifice in the short term for long term benefits and buy into building something. Yeah, but you, you will watch. be rewarded.
0: You've been it right, and you'll be rewarded. I, I think you know, now we're gonna sound like a couple old guys like you know on, on, our- <laughs> on the porch here, but like really, if I look at right now and I'm looking at some of the newer workforce and I, I hate some of the sweeping generalizations that people make and you read some of these articles. There's some some things that are, are are generally true and that are bad and good with with new generations. There's no question about that. But that delayed gratification, I don't know, man. I feel like like with with, with social and with dating and with job hopping, just seems like more and more like, like people do not want to delay that gratification. They want to just get that <laughs> gratification. They want to get that dopamine hit. And it doesn't always work out long-term. There's something to be said about grit and perseverance. Like, now maybe grandma and grandpa staying with one company for 40 years and getting the gold watch at retirement. Maybe that's too far the other way. But I don't think that this constant, you know, I, I, let me see what else is, is you know, phobo fear of, uh, what is it, Jackie? Fear of better options. I never heard that until yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, it seems like there's more of this fear of better options. What do you think about that? Am I on I'm onto something or what?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, my kids are all, my kids range in age from 21 to 30. So, you know, I've seen that and I've constantly am advising them not to jump jobs rapidly, you know, to just stick it out, stay with something for a while. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think there is, uh, that FOBO. I mean, I hadn't heard that before, but that's a, that's an interesting term. And I think, uh, yeah, it probably does have a lot to do with social media and the fact that you know they're seeing all these kids getting rich, or seemingly getting rich, right? Big Who knows? Life, right? Like they're it posting it. Perfect. They got a they got a Lambo and a you know a gold chain. Yeah. It's especially
0: difficult down here in South Florida. Almost <laughs> no. the fifty thousand dollar millionaire. I mean, we see it everywhere. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yep. Yeah.
0: Jackie, you got to trademark. Keith's going to start using that, and we want to make sure he use appropriate Yeah. No, <laughs> All right, Ricky, Listen, I love talking higher with you. And, I, and listen, if you're wondering if I can deal with delayed gratification, I've done like 60 episodes of higher learning before I asked you to come on. So I think I've proved that you <laughs> wait for a good thing. Wow. I'm so appreciative. of I got, I got a couple follow-ups here because, you know, being the A plus achiever you are, you went out ahead of me on some of the questions I was going to ask. So Sorry. we got your advice nugget. No, don't worry about it. We got your book in endurance. So I'm going to ask you this. What are you working on right now? that you're really juiced about what's something that like outside of like kind of the, the, the standard operating procedure, what's something going on right now that you're really pumped about?
1: So two things, because, because, you know, every year, obviously we do a strategic planning session where we talk about, you know, what, and our goal is to like whittle this down. Because one thing I've learned is if you have 10 priorities, that means 10 things are not going to get done. Right. You've got to, It's and it's everybody's got something they want to add to the list. It's so easy to build a big list of all these projects and things you want to do, it's hard to eliminate. And so, we whittled our down our list down to just two things that I'm really excited about. Both one is building up SBA lending uh, because, with a mission to empower local companies. That is a really effective way for us to be able to lend money to small companies and it means making small loans a lot of times so loans of five hundred thousand or less and the only way you can really make money doing that is through SBA lending and automating and using technology basically to automate that process because if you had to do that manually and do all the calculations and write a loan memorandum and prove it you couldn't you know, you'd be losing money. So that is something we're working on doing right now is building out that SBA, small business lending platform. And we want to take that national next year through the state of Florida this year. The other thing that we're really working on, again, is another technology initiative, because I think banking, like probably every other business, is all about technology and how do you utilize technology and how do you make things easier and less frictional. Less friction for your customers, so we call it, it's a concierge banking initiative, where we're trying to create, you know, let's say that you wanted to open a business account, how can we do that quicker, easier, faster than anybody else out there, or a personal account? So we're our goals are to have the the least uh, or the greatest customer experience when it comes to opening an account, whether it's a personal account or a business account. And so we're working now on that initiative. And then that'll transform, you know, those technology initiatives. As soon as we get one done, we go on to the next one, you know? So there's a lot of that. And Corey obviously is spearheading most of those initiatives.
0: Love that. Uh, And any of my local business owner friends are listening to this, Locality Bank and Keith Costello is where it's at. and I really love what you just shared there. I want to bring this back to Crosser real quick. You thought you were going to get away with this, but- I'm looking at the rankings in 2023, ranked by country. Men, you already said your age earlier, so I feel okay saying the 65 plus. You are 67th in the United States. That's probably true. Yeah. How do you feel about that ranking?
1: You feel too high, too low? You no, I'm. I wish it was higher. Okay. How many is that out of? You think? Uh, I, you know, I couldn't tell you. Okay, that's got to be thousands. Maybe thousands. 70. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, I don't that's know. Huge. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. And then I see 2023 quarterfinals. You were 133rd worldwide. Yeah. So my you best. You understand yourself, man. You are like yeah. top dog here.
1: That 73-year-old. And you, 23 you was not a good year you. for me, to be honest with you. I spent some time in the hospital last year. Uh So 23, I couldn't really finish the Open. I. That's even without finishing. Uh, but- if you dig back like a little bit further, like I can't remember, I don't have my stats right in front of me, but you know, I, I got into even higher levels worldwide in some of the other um, competitions. So oh, yeah. 84, and I'm proud of
0: 89. that. Yeah. What's this a picture of right here on your profile?
1: That's Ernest Hemingway at a bar in Cuba in Havana. And uh, I don't know why I happened to pick that, but it looked like a cool picture.
0: I love it. I got a Frank Sinatra one on Twitter and X. I don't know why I have it. It's cool, so it's there. All right. Last question. Yeah. So you took my you took my, my my career advice one. You had to have given thought to what type of restaurant you were going to own and what name. I want to know what details. What were you going to do? Was it Italian? What was it going to be? What is it a
1: theme? Anything? So you know, actually, I'm Irish. So if I opened a bar, it would definitely be an Irish bar, and you know. That's all New York City needs is one more Irish bar. There's only like yeah, I know. I've never, a, I've never been an Irish bar. Thousand of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, Literally but have we're... a
0: happy hour weekday in New York at an Irish bar <laughs> called Monk. <But> anyway,
1: <laughs> and if it was going to be a restaurant, it would definitely be you know. So what's my favorite food? And I think like naturally being in Florida is fish. It would be a local Ooh. fish restaurant. And so when I did actually live in Jacksonville for a little while. And when I was there, there was a restaurant that was down on the beach in Jacksonville and they had like an open pit where They would cook like just all local fish. And I thought that is a great idea. because one thing I hate is going to a big chain restaurant. Like the steaks are fine, but fish, like you're serving fish from, you know, Island or, you know, Portugal, or mm-hmm. I want local, I want right. Florida fish, man. I want some, Good yellowtail snapper or some dolphin. Yeah, I don't want stuff from some other country. So anyway. I love it.
0: <laughs> you need a bank, there's locality. If you need seafood, Costello's, fine fish and seafood. <laughs> Coming, Coming soon. soon. Yeah. Cool. I you. Yeah, right. brother. I appreciate you, man. I'm looking forward to getting together on your podcast. And hopefully we can get a nice meal sometime soon. Maybe some seafood, some some white wine. Enjoy it, okay? All
1: right. Sounds good, Oz. Thank you. Right. Really enjoyed Talk it. Talk you later. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening
0: to Higher Learning with me, Azra Rashid. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.